able to revisit a statistic that we see um, taken in America. They do different surveys from year to year. And one of those is the question uh, as they, they survey Americans throughout this country about what do they believe? Do you believe in the biblical account of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? And in 2020, LifeWay did a research project in that, and that was one of the questions, and it came out that I might be surprised, actually, that 66%, about two-thirds of Americans, acknowledge that when they were asked that question, if they believe that the, the physical resurrection of Jesus was accurate. Uh, but in that as well, you have about 20%, about one in five that disagreed, and about 14%. They're just unsure. And I think as we look at things like that, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on this morning, there's some things we can glean from that. I think one, as we think about this, is that we have opportunity um, to share. At least two-thirds of people would say, yeah, I believe in that, and it's an open door for us to be able to share more of the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And also, though, it reminds us that there are are many um, who maybe assent to the truth in the gospel, but yet aren't aren't walking with him right now. And uh, one other statistic you may have seen from a Gallup poll just recently, that the first time in American history that less than half of Americans attend church regularly. So there's need. There's need for the gospel and and the truth of the risen Savior that should impact us in deep ways. And we've walked several years back when we walked through the Gospel of Mark. We looked at Mark 16. And it was fun this week just to be able to go and revisit that and and have just my heart warmed again to the truths of these these words and these verses in Mark 16. So we're going to look at these and wrestle through them as we think about the risen Savior and we think about who Jesus is. And the first, as we look through verses 1 through 3, we're reminded that Jesus is faithful. Jesus, he's faithful to keep his promises, even in the midst of doubts and confusions that we might have. And begin, Mark 16, verse 1 and 3, 1 through 3. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him, anoint Jesus. And, every, and very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So here, it's it's Sunday morning. It's the first day of the week, and it's daybreak. The sun has just risen. These three women, they go to the tomb. And these three women, in Mark, uh, he mentions them three times within a really short span of verses here at the end of Mark. And these three women recorded as those who who have seen the the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They were there at the cross. And then they were there at the tomb, at the burial of Jesus. And they saw his body wrapped and laid in the tomb. And now these three women are are heading to see the body of Jesus again and to anoint his body, to prepare to finish really the preparation of his burial. So they go. And we have Mary Magdalene. Remember who Mary Magdalene is? She's one that Jesus, Jesus had cast demons out of her and rescued her. And then we have Mary, the mother of James. Uh, most likely, the, possibly the Mary of 
the mother, I'm sorry, the mother of Jesus, and then Salome, who is the mother of James and John, and these three women, they go to complete the custom of, of anointing the body. One thing I, I learned new this week, and maybe I'd read it before, but I forget a lot of things from week to week and year to year, maybe like you guys, I don't know if you're like me, but um, in, Jude, in the Jewish tradition, they had really two stages of burial, and two stages, and the first was to place that body in the tomb for about a year, and they'd anoint the body because it would be in there and it would decay and decompose, so it was just mostly bones. And then they would, after that year, they would take those bones and they'd wash them and they'd take them and they'd put them, they'd put them in a, in a vault um, and, care, and the body would then rest, the bones in the vault. So they're going to anoint that body, so as it decomposes, it, it, it isn't as, as fragrant, may you say, I don't know. So they're going. But they go to this body that's, of Jesus that's been beaten, that's been ripped by whips, that's been disfigured by a crown of thorns that was placed upon his head, a body that hands and feet, his hands and feet were pierced as he was crucified, and his side pierced by a sword. All these things that we, we remember on Good Friday. And they, they go to this body and they anoint Jesus, because they go to him because they love him, they care for him, they're followers of Jesus, and they want to care for him, and they go. And one of those women, again, it's Mary Magdalene. Do you remember Mary? In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, it talks about how Jesus healed Mary. Mary was one who was not just possessed by one demon, but by seven. And Jesus casts out these demons and heals her. So she was a woman who was indeed enslaved. She was really saved and rescued by Jesus, and she knew that, that saving power, that rescuing power, and she loved Jesus, and she followed Jesus, and she pursued him. But now there's kind of a moment, no doubt, in that where there's some confusion. The one who'd rescued and saved her is now dead and in a grave, and they're going to this anointed, this body, this dead body, to anoint this body. But in it, we see as they go, they are expecting to see Jesus in a grave. They're expecting to see Jesus wrapped in linen cloths dead, not risen, not breathing, not risen on the third day as Jesus had predicted. But one was in the grave, and it must have been difficult for them to even just grasp the idea of resurrection. What does that mean? And could one who's died the death of crucifixion, ripped and beaten and crucified, could he rise again from the, day, the grave? And they go again, they're expecting to see him in the grave, dead on the third day. And yet, Jesus had told the disciples time and time again that he would rise again. In Mark, there's three times where Jesus says that he will die, be crucified, and then rise again. And if in the gospel it's repeated three times, it means it's something significant. But we don't have all the words of Christ, so it may have been that he's told them several more times that he, this is what would happen. Let me read from Mark eight thirty one. Jesus says to the disciples, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. Then Mark nine thirty one through 32 and he was teaching the disciples. Jesus is teaching the disciples, saying to them, 
the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will, he will rise again. He will rise again. But they, the disciples, they didn't understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask Jesus. And then Mark 10, 33 through 34, Jesus says, See, we are going to Jerusalem. We're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. So Jesus goes into even more detail of what's going to happen, and then he says, and then after three days, we'll rise again. So you might, you might have thought that the disciples, and even these women, as they go to the tomb, they're expecting the tomb might be empty. But they don't. They're struggling to believe and understand what, what is going on and what will happen. And they see things as just have gone maybe wrong. Their picture of the Messiah, again, most likely was that of a king that would come and deliver them from this Roman rule and the oppression that they were under. That he would be a king who was a geopolitical king who would rescue them. But Jesus came and as one who was a suffering servant who came and he suffered for our sins, but one who's indeed a conqueror who conquers death and sin and Satan, but not in the way that they were looking. So they go to the tomb. And in verse 3, we see as they go, they remember there's a large stone that's covering this tomb, and they begin to talk about that, and they wonder, who's going who's gonna to move away this, this stone? Who's going to be able to push it so that they can get in? It's large, it's too big for them to move. And all, all the male disciples, they're all in hiding. All the fishermen who are used to hard labor, they're not there to move the, the stone for them. And they wonder, who's going to push away the stone? And apparently they didn't know that Pilate had put soldiers at the tomb and that he had sealed it. And by this time, though, they had fled. So they, they come upon the tomb and it's, it's empty. And these women, they, they go... And they approached the tomb. And we think too, as we think about them just going, expecting Jesus to be still buried and in that tomb, we think of also those disciples who are still back hiding behind locked doors, possibly expecting their own arrest. But before we look down on them and think, oh man, they, they sure missed it, didn't they? Man, I, I sure, I probably bet I wouldn't have. I would have been at that tomb waiting. But even in our life, um, from week to week and month to month, I think of this year, um, as we've gone through this difficult year, there's been some huge disappointments and some twists and some turns and some different things and different lives where we have probably faced a lot of disappointment and tragedy. And we've wondered, well, has this gone wrong? Um, Could God still be in control of this? Uh, Could God really redeem and arise good even from this and we can wrestle through these things when they're good questions they're good difficult questions that we can wrestle through and might they even draw us nearer to God as we wrestle through when things don't turn out the way we why we think they should or the way we ever anticipated and I know just this COVID year has just rearranged things in a lot of ways where we kind of raise our hands what is going on I think of the quote from last week's sermon from Johnny Erickson Tata where she talked about her suffering and she said, I, I relearned the timeless lesson of allowing my suffering to push me deeper 
into the arms of Jesus. I like to think of my suffering, my pain, as, as a sheepdog that nips at my heels, driving me to Calvary, driving me to Jesus. So the Lord even uses our doubts and our confusion, and He is faithful. He will fulfill all of, our prom- all of His promises, um, even when we doubt and we're confused. I think of Paul, who talked about Jesus and said that all the promises of God are fulfilled in Him. They have their yes in Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 1.20 talks about that. But God is faithful. Uh, even when we wrestle and we doubt, He is faithful. He will not not fulfill his promises uh, and his faithfulness to us. And then in verses 4 through 6, we we get to the empty tomb. And we see that Jesus is alive. And he did not leave us without evidence of his resurrection. Verses 4 through 6. So then looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where he laid. So then we see, again, that they approach the tomb, and, and, and it's open. The stone is already rolled away, and they might begin to wonder, what is going on as they approach this tomb? And wondering, has someone stolen or someone disturbed the body? And they, they go to the empty tomb, not knowing yet that it's empty. And no doubt their hearts probably skipped a beat, just wondering, what is happening? What is going on? And they go, and they see the, the, that stone moved, and they don't know yet that it wasn't by man, but it was by the hand of God moving that, a miraculous sign just even demonstrating the resurrected Christ. And they go to that tomb and they enter in and there's a young man sitting in there. And one that we know is an angel of God. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, it talks about how he had dazzling apparel. It was like lightning. And they go in. And as you might expect, they're alarmed. They're awestruck. Or if you have the King James, it says that they were affrighted. I love that. I, I think in our house, whenever we scare one another, we should say, ah, I affrighted you. Ha ha. Affrighted. But they were affrighted as they entered in. And that's the reaction you'd expect if, they, if we were to see a divine, and just the, the appearance of glory of an angel. And then verse 6, we see the words of this angel that speaks to the woman. It's, he says, and comforts him and says, do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. Do not fear. And that call to do not fear. I know this year as I've been reading through the Bible, I've just been looking for that phrase. And it's amazing. It has been amazing to see how many times it's do not fear. Do not fear. And more often than not after that, it has something about for the Lord is with you. So do not fear. And this time it's do not fear. Do not be alarmed. Jesus is risen. He's not in the grave. Do not be alarmed. He is risen. And then it says, come, see, see the place. There's full disclosure. Nothing's hidden. Come on in. Look, he is not here. The grave is empty. Jesus is risen. 
As we think of the empty grave, even just as we think about the resurrection of Christ, we see several proofs of his resurrection in these verses that we can look to as evidence of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that first is just the truth of this empty tomb. The body of Jesus was gone. And it hadn't been stolen. It was because Christ rose again. From Matthew, we know that it was recorded that Pilate, he sat in front of the tomb, soldiers to, to guard that tomb, and it was sealed. And the religious leaders wanted them to do that because they didn't want the disciples to come and steal that body and then claim that he had risen from the dead. So they were doing everything they could to make sure that that did not happen. And that was what happened because Jesus truly rose again. In the first century religious leaders and other political leaders, they wanted to crush, crush this message of Jesus. They wanted to crush this gospel of Jesus, but they couldn't do it. And if they could have, they would have produced a body or they would have pointed to a tomb to stop the message of Jesus, but they, they couldn't because it wasn't there because he had risen and the disciples who were frightened and they hid behind doors after the resurrection, what do they do? They go forth and they speak boldly, even willing to be imprisoned themselves, beaten themselves, and even being willing to be crucified for the message of the gospel. And he's risen. We see that truth. Even today, I've heard several times recently that one of the fastest growing churches is in Iran, but it's a church under great persecution. Even just this morning, I was looking... I had an email that had a trailer for a video that talked about Christians both in, I think, in India and Iraq and Egypt and a couple other places and just interviewing them. And just in the short clip of that trailer, just seeing the depth of the persecution, yet willingness to serve Jesus. And they serve him because their life has been changed by him. It's because Jesus is risen. And they're willing because their life has been utterly changed by him and they know he is true. Another thing we see just in these few verses pointing to the evidence of Jesus is that these first witnesses at the tomb, they're women. And if Mark, as he wrote this, if he wanted the story to be even more believable to those who would hear it, he would have had men be witnesses at the, at the tomb because during that time in history, women were not given a voice. And even in Ju- Judaism, they, were not, they wouldn't accept the testimony of women. I was reading in a book by um, Tim Keller, and he cited a Greek philosopher from the second century. His name was Celsus, and he he talked about that. He he dismissed Christianity because who could believe in a resurrection based on the testimony of women? So he just rejected it. So in that time, if they wanted to make it most believable to their audience, they would have had a different audience come to the tomb, and it would have written about that, but that wasn't the way it worked as Commentator James Edwards says, he says, unless women were actually present at the tomb, the early church would scarcely have placed them there, since Judaism did not accept the testimony of women. The testimony of women is, however, it is, however, entirely in character with the divine economy. It's entirely in character with the way that God does things. Those whose testimony is discounted in human society are the first to be included in divine society. God is one that comes to the weak, the broken, the outcast, to sinner. And then a third 
evidence that we can just think about as we look at these few verses. And although it's not in, in this account right here, but we know that Jesus appeared to these women and then to the disciples as well. That he made himself known and again he changed them to those who were frightened, to those who were, were radically sharing of the gospel. I think also of Saul in the New Testament. Saul who became Paul. who Jesus appeared to him. He was one who persecuted the church but when Christ appeared he became one who was willing to be persecuted for the gospel. And I think as we think of this, we think of how Rome was not successful. The religious leaders were not successful to crush the gospel of Jesus Christ. They couldn't do it. And governments today and throughout the centuries, they continue in different lands and in different ways to crush the message of Jesus Christ. But they can't. The church continues. It continues to flourish even in the face of great opposition. And today, I know here in our country, there's concern um, about different legislation that might be passed, things like the Equality Act and other things that might hinder the freedom of the church. And no doubt we should be those who are, are actively, actively taking our civic responsibility to have our voice heard. But at the same time, we can be assured this type of legislation will not crush the church and the spread of the gospel here in America. But instead, the Lord often uses his people when they are weak and marginalized to actually strengthen the church and that the gospel is planted even deeper in the hearts of its people. So we do not need to fear. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. Sometimes we create all sorts of different boogeymans that we're supposed to be fearful of as Christians, but most of those times those are just smoke screens. We just need to look to Jesus. And then verse 7, we see that Jesus is merciful and extends forgiveness through his death and resurrection. But go, but go, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So this message comes and he commands them to go, go tell the disciples. And then what does it say? And Peter. If you know the story of Peter, he denied Christ three times, and, and Peter is probably wondering him to himself, is Jesus going to welcome me back in? Am I one of the twelve anymore? I didn't really prove so much. Jesus gave me this name, Peter, Petros, Rock, and I, I didn't really hold up to that. Instead, we think of the the time where Peter last saw Jesus, what had he had done? He, he had cursed he had cursed himself. He said, may a curse be come upon me. May God strike me dead. I do not know Jesus. I'm not one of his disciples. And after this, Peter denied, after he denied Jesus three times and the rooster crows, it says in Luke twenty two sixty one. it says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter and the, the Lord saw him. And Peter may be wondering, oh, what does this mean? But here Jesus calls him in and says, tell the disciples and Peter to come. He's forgiven. And they go 
later and they'll meet Jesus where he said he would meet them. In Mark 14, 28, he told his disciples, but I will rise up and I will go before you to Galilee. And they're called again, even though they doubted, even though they fled, even though they're in hiding, even though they, they sent the women, they wouldn't even go with them to the tomb. He says, come to me. And then another interesting thing in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, that Paul Paul, he speaks about the risen Savior, and he says, Jesus, he says, verse 5, and he appeared, and Jesus appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. So it says that Jesus, who did he first appear to? To Peter, and then he went to the twelve. Just the kindness of Jesus. He's one who calls us in. He has great mercy and forgiveness. He's ready to forgive And Jesus, he didn't just extend forgiveness and mercy and grace to Peter, but to all of us. He extends that to us, that we might come to him. And I think as we've been in the letter of 1 Peter, the words and written word that Peter wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the verse we go to again and again in chapter 3, verse 18, that says, For Jesus also suffered, he suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous, right? That he might bring us to God. So Jesus is one for all that he died for us once for sins. That we might be forgiven. That we might be in a a right relationship with him. That we might know the grace and the peace and the mercy of our God. And then verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So Jesus is risen, and he calls us to respond. We see these women, the first their response is they leave overwhelmed and awe and in fear. No doubt there is just a sense, just overwhelmed. They've been through this horrible time of grief, and now they see, hear, and know Jesus is risen. And they're silenced, uh, but they're not silenced forever. They're silenced for a moment, and then they go. But here, Mark does end the account with their astonishment. There's just in, probably incomparable, both sorrow and joy just mingle together in this moment as they see and hear of the resurrected Savior. And there's a changing that happens. Last week, another quote that I had read was from Pastor David Strain that said, suffering often it cuts the, the cord that ties us temporarily, tells us, ties us to temporary fleeting pleasures and trains our heart to find satisfaction in Jesus. There's times where, where suffering drives us deep that we might find our satisfaction in him. And they were filled with sorrow and yet then joy rushed in. And the question is, how will we respond We've seen that, uh, and that, at least in that survey, in that study, that two-thirds of Americans will say, yeah, I believe in the resurrection. But it's more than just knowing and saying, yes, I believe, but it's hearing and responding and turning and trusting our life fully in him and turning from just the vices and the gods and the hopes of this world and placing our full trust in Jesus Christ. And sometimes that runs contrary to what the world calls us to 
We're called to turn from the current even discipleship of this age that tells us mostly that truth is whatever we believe. Whatever I have in my heart, then that's what truth is. But we're called to look to God's word and know what truth is and to rest in Christ. So we should ask, yeah, how do we respond? Why does this matter? And if, we, if you know that you have trusted in Jesus Christ, that you are followers of his, it should well up in us a desire to, to let others know from our family to friends, to coworkers, to neighbors, that they might know of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, that we might be those who from our doorstep to the ends of the earth are able to share. But it also means for us, if we are followers of Christ, that, that our life, our hope, our passion is in Jesus Christ alone. That we begin to filter all, all of our hopes, all that we believe through the, resur- the resurrected Savior. And we can't just live as, as casual Christians. They can't just be an asterisk or on a footnote of who we are. Like on our profile page, there's just kind of a line item. It's just sort of a line item that I'm a Christian. But it's a lot more than that. As we thought about at the learned about at the beginning of this year, as Jesus said, he said, abide in me, right? Abide in me, and apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus says, remain in me, abide in me, because apart from me, you can do nothing. May we place all uh, of our life on Christ and rest in him. And then finally, uh, maybe you come this morning and you're just wrestling through these things of who Jesus is. And he calls us to repent and believe, to turn to him and to trust in him, that he is the resurrected Savior who's left evidence that he is not in the grave, but that he is risen. He is risen, and he is one who calls us, even if we're weary and heavy-laden and burdened, to come to him, and you will find rest, and you'll have forgiveness, and you'll have hope in him. It's your call to trust in him as we see in Romans 10. Let me just close by read, reading Romans 10, 8 through 13. It says, the word is near you, the gospel, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He is risen. He is risen. Dear Father God, we are reminded this morning that you are risen. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we come before you and we um, ask that you would, from day in and day out, that you would deepen the truth of the gospel in our hearts, that we are those who are sinners in desperate, deep need of Jesus, and that in him we do find forgiveness and true life and eternal life in him. Lord, help us abide, to abide in Christ being reminded that we can do nothing apart from him. Lord, help us to be those who who rest in you day in and day out. Lord, we are so thankful for your mercy, your grace, that even in our doubting and our wrestling, you are faithful. And Lord, I pray if there are any here who have yet to 
to turn and trust in you that this morning that you would quicken their hearts to, to place their faith in you this morning and that they would have a new life. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.